Amen. It's particularly beautiful back there now. It's really, it's really grand the way the, the way the river is comes alive. Pretty, huh? Yeah, it's beautiful. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a travel podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. A few months ago, I spent some time on Main Street in Brattleboro. People were walking on the sidewalks. Others were sitting at tables outside at cafes with their coffees and sandwiches. There were colorful flowers everywhere and trees planted along the street. I was struck by how vibrant Main Street looked and how you could feel this energy in the air. I think it's tempting to describe Brattleboro as a mini Burlington, but the town has its own thing going on and stands on its own. It's very much its own place. Brattleboro is located in the southeastern corner of Vermont in the Connecticut River Valley. Brattleboro's Main Street is home to the Latches Hotel and Theater, which dates back to 1938, as well as Sam's Outdoor Outfitters, which goes back to the 1930s. And a few doors down is the Brattleboro Food Co-op, which has been going strong since 1975. There's a big focus on local in Brattleboro. Local food, local shops, local art. I stopped by Amy's Bakery Arts Cafe, which reopened earlier this year after closing at the start of the pandemic in 2020. The bakery's owned by Amy Comanchero, who moved to Brattleboro in 1987 from New York City. We talked a little bit about her bakery and what drew her to this part of Vermont 35 years ago. Here's Amy. My brother was living in Brattleboro. I was in New York City, which didn't suit me at all. I needed the peace and quiet of the country. And my brother said, come to Vermont. It's quiet (laughs) and fun. And that's how I got here. Brattleboro is a great place to raise a kid, good place to raise a kid, and just have a real life, you know. It's not the crazy stress of a big city. But it's vibrant. Brattleboro is a lively and engaged community, and it's a place where you want to spend some time. Greg Worden's grandfather was born in Brattleboro, but moved away as a teenager. Greg had never met his grandfather or had ever been to Brattleboro, for that matter. But when a couple of college friends from the University of Missouri asked him to join them on a trip to their hometown of Brattleboro, well, he decided to tag along. And basically, he never left, and 50 years later, he's still calling Brattleboro home. Greg owns Vermont Artisan Designs and The Kitchen Sink on Main Street with his wife, Susie. Greg's first job when he moved to Brattleboro was working for the Brattleboro Reformer as a reporter and editor. So being a reporter and editor, he knows the town really inside and out. And for all these years, he's also been an active member of the community. He's seen Brattleboro through its ups and downs and appreciates the town's history, its arts and culture scene, and its progressive vibe. Here's Greg. First day here, it was like, oh, okay, this feels like home. <laughs> you know, the next day, I talked to the reformer, and their county editor had passed away the day before I got here. And so I'd taken a job in Illinois at a newspaper there uh, with Gannett, actually, oh. and hadn't started there yet. I had a couple weeks before I was supposed to start. So I went back and I said, you know, we had a, I think they had a six month you know, probationary period at the time. And I said, well, you know, I'll do the six months because I told you I would. But I said, at the end of that, I'm going to go to Vermont. And they said, well, hey, listen, don't let us hold you back. Did you think, like, this is just where I want to be? Did you envision yourself spending your life here? 
you know, I don't think you think of it in those terms, but, you know, walking down the street, you know, it was a good library. People were friendly. And it just really felt good. It felt felt like home. I mean, and it was interesting, too, because uh, Heidelberg is where I was stationed in Germany uh, on the Neckar River. And the Connecticut River's here. And so, and the hills were very similar to Germany. And so it felt good that way as well. So, you know, just every, you know, little things, how things work. You feel comfortable in a place and... If it feels comfortable, then, you know, and there was a job and, you know, people were friendly and, you know, there were roots here that I didn't know, you know, about completely. So it was fun to explore that as well. So your grandfather was born in Brattleboro? He was born in Halifax, just down the road. Down the road. But you had never met him. I never knew him. He was... he had uh, left here when he was probably 16 or 17 because he'd built enough stone walls and he wanted to find dirt that was deeper that didn't grow rocks. So he went, he actually went all across the country, according to my dad, and then wound up on the border of Illinois and Indiana where the dirt was deep and uh, better. (laughs) And he was out there in state line, Indiana, and then in Danville, Illinois, in that area. He passed away you know, long before I was around, Dad was born out there. And, you know, when I'd talk to him about Vermont, I'd, I used to read uh, Saturday Review. I don't know whether you ever saw that magazine. It was a thing that Norman Cousins edited and it had done for years. And in the back, they always had little one-ads or, you know, little classifieds. And every once in a while, you'd see things for Vermont. And I'd talk to Dad and say, hey, Dad, you know, what about Vermont? Because, you know, there was a, a cabin for sale on 20, I don't know, 25 acres, I guess, and for $7,500 and and Marlboro. And I said, you know, hey, you know, I, I might like to do that, Dad. And he said, nothing back there except rocks. <laughs> said, your dad, your granddad could have bought a mountain for 50 bucks. <laughs> he was there. I wish he had. And so you got a job at the Brattleboro Reformer, and you were a reporter, photographer, became a editor. One of the editors as well. And right. I started out as county editor, actually, to replace the fellow who had passed away. And you just, you know, a small paper, you do everything. You clean desks, you clean windows. <laughs> One of the things I'd studied at school was newspaper publishing. So, you know, that was fun, too, because you get to see all the different aspects of it that way. And a, a small paper is just a good, good way to break into any place because you learn about the place as you you know, cover the different events, whether it's the select board or the school board or right. the arts or whatever. Just it's a great, great learning experience. And right. And you get to know a town or community kind of inside and out from all different angles, you know, whether it's the town select board or the arts community and everything in between. What was Brattleboro like when you first arrived in 1972? Well, when I first came here, the newspaper was downtown in the Italian-American building, and you would go in on Main Street, and that was the advertising office and circulation. Downstairs was composing, and downstairs was, below that was the editorial room where the, you know, the everybody, writers and uh, the editors were, and then the press room was in the, the basement that backed on, so you looked out on the Connecticut River, and it was, you know, one of the greatest views in the in the community, being able to look out the newsroom out to the river and the mountain beyond, and you know, just pretty comfortable that way. 
and everything was downtown, and people would stop in, you know, on the street because they were you were here. It was still hot metal at that point. They were still setting the old uh, linotype machine, and you know, the transition obviously to computers, you know, started down there, and then uh, the newspaper eventually decided to build a place north of town, a little bit out in off of Putney Road, and you know. That was an interesting time because, again, you know, today, well, a couple of different things have taken place. The police department used to be downtown, too, and the police department is now in the building where the reformer was, where we built and moved to. Uh, Again, taking people that are important out of the downtown and moving them to the periphery, which is never really the best thing. In the world, I mean, you lose lose touch a little bit, whether you want to or not. It makes you work harder to get, you know, that those connections when you're not quite as accessible to people. But you know, that happened. You know, Sam's has been here forever. What since the '30s? Yeah, you know, that was a staple. You know, a lot of businesses have come and gone through the years. Again, you know, we've uh, worked hard to maintain a uh, a good, solid downtown after. The newspaper, I was arts editor as well towards the end there. And so that was one of the transition periods that, uh, as well as man- assistant managing editor. And, you know, really good people at the newspaper. I mean, top notch. I mean, our editor was a fellow who had run the London Bureau of UPI. We had one of the reporters who worked for Time magazine. You know, it's, you know, they're good quality writers and editors. And, um, Covered a lot of interesting things, including Vermont Yankee down here through the years and the start of that. Just really good people to work with and, again, to flesh out the community and uh, really, really learn about it. You know, talking about Main Street, when the Brattleboro Reformer was located right on Main Street and you were kind of right in the heart of the community. And when you pass through Brattleboro now on Main Street, it feels, you know, very vibrant. There's lots of people, a lot of locally owned shops, including your own. Did Brattleboro, did Main Street have that feel back then? Did it have that, did downtown seem not, I don't want to say industrial, but did it seem more like the police was here and like more of a traditional Main Street? It was a little bit more traditional Main Street. Uh, there were, you know, a lot of different <laughs> places around. I mean, we had the Allstate's bar, which was <laughs> down at below uh, Main yeah. Street and the bottom part of Main Street. Yeah. You had Ransom Hastings. You had the Village Barn. Yeah. There were a lot of bars and, you know, a lot of raucous, raucous times <laughs> in downtown Brattleboro. Interesting, interesting times to think about, to remember. Several fires through the years have changed the complexion of downtown. The Allstates burned that block at the bottom of the hill. Mm-hmm burned and they replaced them with, you know, one-story buildings as opposed to three-story buildings. There was a fire at the Paramount Theater, which was an old movie theater. And again, they reclaimed that and that has become a, you know, a a good building that has, you know, condos as far as businesses go and some apartments in it. But, uh, and then, you know, through the years, the the, uh, Brooks House burned about 11 years ago or so when Hurricane uh, Irene came through that same year. And that has been reclaimed. And so, you know, a lot of positive things have come through fires and adversity. After I left the paper 
and we started Vermont Artisan or bought Vermont Artisan Designs. I became involved with the downtown group. We started a small group of us started a thing called Building a Better Brattleboro, because at, at that point in time, this was probably 25, 30 years ago, close in there somewhere. The downtown was going through a really rough time. And throughout town, I think we counted there were 56 open storefronts around, not only on Main Street, but on Putney Road and towards Exit 1 on Canal Street and in West Brattleboro. And what we decided to do was, you know, try and revitalize this place, get some something going. At that time, where the... Uh, it's the marketplace, downtown marketplace is now oh, yeah. the River Garden. Yeah. That was a burned down drugstore. It was blocked up. On the other corner was a Dunkin' Donuts that had closed. And on the other corner in the Brooks house on the main level was a kitchen store that had not been open for years and years and years, but it still maintained a presence even though they weren't open. So, you know, it was dead there, dead corner. Uh, one of the first things that we did was try and revitalize that area. Brattleboro has been a, a really good community for planning for a long, long time. A lot of the plans, you know, you make great plans, you plan for a year or two or three, you get great plans, and then the plans go on the shelf and nothing happens. One of the best things that happened within two years of the plans that we started for the River Garden that was Leo Berman's idea. He was an architect here in town, and he was active and wanted to build something unusual. We had a, a building there that had that was designed to uh, accommodate local activity. And across the street, where the Dunkin' Donuts was, we purchased that and divided that and built, sold the back end to a restaurant, which built something. And the front end became Plenty Park, which is a nice little community park downtown. We didn't weren't able to do too much with the Brooks House at that point, but again, that transpired a little bit later with the fire. But, you know, there was suddenly activity, and people were saying, rather than, who's going to close today? It was like, oh, who's going to open tomorrow? When was that? Which Was that like early 2000s, or what was It was the early 2000s, somewhere in there. It was the time when uh, the downtown associations were starting. One of the things, I was on the select board at that point too, and one of the things that we wanted to do, we'd been talking about a parking garage because downtown didn't have a lot of parking. And one of the things that came out of uh, the downtown organization was money for parking facilities or transportation centers. And we applied. In order to apply, you had to have an organization that was a nonprofit it was focused on the downtown. We had started building a better Brattleboro and with the idea that it was encompassing the whole of town. And so we had to quickly change our perspective on the whole community and realize that the downtown was the heart of the community. And as the heart is strong, then the outer areas would strengthen and be stronger. That was Paul Borofsky's idea. He said, you know, if you don't have a strong heart, then you don't have a community. You don't have something that will work. And so we were able to change building a better Brattleboro from the whole town to focus on just the downtown. And that allowed us to become a designated downtown. And because we were designated downtown, we were able to apply for the transportation funds for the uh, 
transportation center here. And that brought in a million dollars over 10 years that helped kick us over the hump, which allowed us to actually build that. So, you know, a lot of different things work together. It's interesting, too, because, you know, Vermont has a lot of historic downtowns. You think of ones like uh, Montpelier or Virgins, Brattleboro, of course, you know, Bennington. Main Street in Brattleboro has a very, I don't know, there's something very special about it. Whenever I come through here, it, it feels there's a lot of activity. It feels very vibrant. I noticed, I said, there's so many locally owned stores here. You know, I was down here a couple months ago and I was counting. I can't remember what the number was, but I was looking at all of them. And then I called the Chamber of Commerce and I said, is this unusual? Is you know, are there more here than other places? And But you've got your store, Vermont Artisans Designs, and then you've got Sam's Outdoor Outfitters. You've got Zephyr Designs. You've got the Latches Hotel. You've got Amy's Bakery across the street. Kitchen Sink. Kitchen Sink, right, exactly. And then the food co-op, the Brattleboro Food Co-op. Yeah, Galanis Vermont Shop. Galanis Building has been around. They've had businesses in town for years and years and years, different businesses through the years. Yes. But uh, Galanis Sports Shop, Burroughs Sports Shop across the street is locally owned. Yeah. And that's been around for a long time. That was owned by Plenty Burroughs, actually, who's named for, you know, Plenty Park is named for. Yeah, so it has that feel. And, and I don't know if there are more locally owned shops on Main Street in this community than other communities in Vermont, but it definitely stands out and it has a certain feeling. And if you ask someone to describe Brattleboro, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, it has a little bit of, you know, a Northampton feel to it a little bit, or maybe it has like a smaller Burlington feel, but it's still its own place. It's different. And... I don't know. How would you describe Brattleboro to someone? You know, Brattleboro is probably the most cosmopolitan small town around. Mm -hmm. And like you say, most of it's locally owned. Uh, so you don't see the big box stores or you don't see little box stores even. Mm -hmm. You see businesses like the Shoe Tree or there's, uh, you name it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. A lot of different restaurants, again, locally owned restaurants, whether it's Peter Haven's or T.J. Buckley's or at the bottom of the hill, you've got the, the Whetstone Station. You've got the Holstein Association, which is, you know, based here and that's been around forever. Is that part of Strolling of the Heifers or is that different? No, it was different. It's the Holstein Registry. It's the cattle registry for all of Holsteins oh. in the world, <laughs> actually. Okay. So that's based here. Brattleboro has this very, and this is just, you know, me and outsider's perspective, but it, you know, it seems progressive, a lot of community engagement, you know, kind of activism, like it's a very, really strong community. It feels that way. Is that true? Is that accurate? I think that's accurate. You know, there's a lot of people who care about Brattleboro and about the world. Like I say, it's, you know, one of the most cosmopolitan places. For years and years, it was known as sort of as the a college town without a college. We do have the community college now, and we did have Marlboro College's graduate center down here, which is gone, unfortunately. And we did have World Learning is here, which started as the School for International Training and the Experiment in International Living, which brought you know students from all over the world here, which again added to the just ambiance of a world community, basically, in a small town in Vermont, which, you know, is unusual. Being only a couple hours from Boston, being about three hours from New York, being five or six hours from Montreal, about three or four hours from Albany, you know, we're sort of 
in a real sweet spot as far as Vermont goes, as far as attracting visitors. And you know that uh, Brattleboro has been a, a spa town and other towns yeah. uh, for years and years yeah. that have attracted people from everywhere. And people come back year after year. I mean, it's a, just a, one of those places where you you feel good about going. You know, if nothing else, it's a starting point for your rest of your visit to Vermont. So Brattleboro, like many towns, was part of this Vermont's like water cure craze, I guess, back in like the 1840s and 50s. And Brattleboro was one of those places. And you had towns also like uh, Clarendon and Highgate, Hardwick, Woodstock, Manchester. People would come for these springs. And I read that Harriet Beecher Stowe came to Brattleboro in hopes that she would find this water cure would relieve her from melancholia, which is a type of depression. And she went to this place called the Brattleboro Hydropathic Institution. Do you know where that was? I'm not 100% sure. I think it was down here on Elliott Street, actually. Brattleboro had the purest water, supposedly, in the Northeast. And people came for cold baths. I mean, which was like, whoa, <laughs> it doesn't sound very appealing to me. But evidently it was, uh, you know, something that lasted for a number of years. And unfortunately, the springs are no longer quite as pure where they were. Supposedly, I had the purest water in the Northeast, and which, you know, yeah. I drew people from everywhere. It's always fun looking up the history of certain places. And then I was reading about well, way before that what the first English settlement was what, Fort Dummer? Mm -hmm. So now when they dammed the Connecticut River in 1909 or something, the fort site slipped underwater. But now there's this overlook where you can still sort of see remnants. Is that right? More or less. You know where it would have been, at least. Yeah. The dams, you know, helped with the flooding, controlling the flooding. Yeah. We had, what was the hurricane of, what was it, 37, that uh, sort of wiped away Island Park out here. That was evidently quite a, quite a place. Big island in the middle of the Connecticut River where they had ball games and they had an amphitheater and they had concerts and presidential visits and all sorts of things going on out there, big fairs. How did you get there? Just by boat? There was a bridge. There was a bridge. And then the bridges washed out in the, in the hurricane and they rebuilt the bridges, but the most of the island was washed away and... Now they're building a new bridge across the river to take out, and there'll be two pedestrian bridges plus the remnants of the island in the middle. And so they'll, we'll be able to do something with that island again, perhaps, or what's left yeah. of the little island. Also, you know, speaking of the type of community Brattleboro is, you know, very active and community-oriented, and then you also have a lot of artists here. Mm -hmm. And Brattleboro was a printing town. So you had uh, printing for books and magazines and newspapers. And do you think that's what drew people, artists here, or writers to this community? Not necessarily, but, you know, it's one of those things where uh, Vermont and a lot of places in New England have been very peaceful mm -hmm. places and places to contemplate and to work by yourselves. So I think, you know, that just its general feel uh, has a lot to do with, you know, attracting artists. Through the years, you know, we've had a lot of potters, we've had jewelers, we've had woodworkers, glass blowers. I mean, it's, you know, again, people are attracted to the area. Not everybody sells their work locally, but a lot of people work here and sell their work 
nationally or internationally. So let's talk about that. So you bought Vermont Artisan Designs with your wife, Susie, 35 years ago. And so how did you go from newspaper reporter to owning a retail store and a gallery, you know, showcasing Vermont artists? Well, I've always liked art and craft, and Susie has liked art. And, you know, it was one of those things where a friend was selling businesses and had this business for sale and said, you know, this might be a good fit for you. And I thought, okay, yeah. We wanted something we could do together. So that, you know, has sort of worked out interestingly. When we bought it, um, it was half craft in front and half yarn shop in back. And, you know, neither one of us are yarn people or knitters. The person, well, the people who had founded it initially, Lucy Gratwick Sirkin and John Sirkin, it was called L.J. Sirkin when they founded it. She was a weaver, and so she had, you know, yarns for her weaving and that type thing. They ran it for about six or seven years, and they sold it to a lady by the name of Meg Howland, who continued it and changed the name from L.J. Sirkin to Vermont Artisan Designs, and moved it from Elliott Street to Main Street, and we bought it from her after about six or seven years. I mean, it was one of those things where it seemed to be something that people lasted with a little bit of time, but not necessarily something they wanted to live with forever, and... We've sort of lived with it forever. <laughs> you really have. Way. Yeah, 35 years. You know, it's grown a lot and changed a lot through the years. So tell me, what kind of pieces do you sell? Well, we have a real variety of things. We have blown glass. We have a number of blown glass workers and glass workers in general. We have a lot of pottery, some of the finest pottery around. We have jewelry. We have uh, turned wood. We have furniture. We have wrought iron, ironwork. We have some woven goods, you know, scarves and shawls and some printed, you know, silk scarves. Just, you know, a real variety of things. And then a lot of fine art and sculpture, which you don't find everywhere. We were fortunate to uh, have a space where we have 11 small art galleries around a central one upstairs uh, and work with overall probably... 300 or more artists and craftspeople at any given time, mostly local and regional, mostly about 70% from Vermont, up to 90% probably from Vermont or other parts of New England. But we don't limit ourselves to that. We, you know, do about 10% from other parts of the country where we find things that we can't find here or haven't found or really like, just in general. You know, there are chimes, there are uh, the Vermont singing drum, the Vermont folk rockers here. And artists whose work uh, is some of the nicest work you'll find. It's interesting how people come and say, you know, a lot of galleries, we, you know, like one or two things, you know, maybe three or four different. And we, we look through here and we like everything. <laughs> how do you choose? <laughs> Which is really a nice feeling and nice to hear for the artists and, you know, nice to have that response from people who come year after year and find new things pretty much every visit that they come. We continue to look. It's not simply a, here's our craft and it's, you know, come and if you like it, you like it. And right. if you don't, take it, or leave take it or leave it type stuff. No, it's, we keep looking and mm -hmm. trying to find new things or things that people will like. And it's, you know, all price points too. 
you can find things in here for a dollar or a dollar and a half, and you can find things for lots and lots of money. (laughs) What do you think makes Brattleboro's Main Street maybe different or special? One thing, it's really walkable. I mean, it's you can see an awful lot of different things in a very relatively short distance of trekking around. You know, one of the nicest things about the summertime and post-pandemic a little bit more, you used to be able to go out in the parking lot and count 10 or 12 different states on parking license plates. And during the pandemic, it was down to three or four. And just a couple of days ago, I was out and there were 10 or 12 license plates out there. And, you know, as you're driving down the road, if you count license plates, you know, from one end of town to the other, you can count 10 or 15 different states plates, which is really what you want to see. You want to have people coming to Vermont again. You know, Brattleboro is a great place to come. So we're grateful to see people and we'd love to welcome them. And a lot of times we just say, welcome home. I heard you say that upstairs to someone from Alabama. Was he from Alabama that came in? It feels like it to a lot of people, I think. And, um, you know, it's always felt that way to me. Are you glad you never left? Yeah. (laughs) Added opportunities, you know, at different times. And, you know, you think about it and you say, you know, ah, I like it here. (laughs) Why go anywhere? You know, people come here forever. (laughs) You can learn more about Brattleboro by visiting brattleboro.com. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find more stories about Vermont by visiting my website, happyvermont.com. And if you have story ideas or just want to say hello, send me an email at hello at happyvermont.com. (laughs) 